This show is created for adult audiences only. Our show notes include content warnings and other helpful information. We strongly recommend taking a moment to assess the situation before continuing. Let's begin. Episode 101 The Wolf Girl of Devil's River In the heart of South Texas, nestled amidst the tapestry of vibrant flora and fauna, lies the ethereal gem known as Espantosa Lake. As the sun dances upon its cerulean surface, a symphony of colors emerge, painting the horizon with strokes of azure, sapphire, and emerald. The gentle roll of the water ripples like the whispers of a secret shared between lovers, while the air itself carries the sweet fragrance of wildflowers and the earthy musk of ancient oaks. But the lake's serene demeanor belies its mysterious depths, where creatures of myth and legend may lurk, hidden from mortal eyes. But the entities that roam this bewitching waterway were not always so concealed. In the time of Texas's settlement, when people lived in closer connection to nature, to the land and the wonders that inhabit it, mystery pervaded this countryside and tales of the wolf girl of Devil's River struck fear in the hearts of its residents, one and all. In the spring of 1835, a group of eastern colonists, led by Dr. Charles Beale, set up camp at Espantosa Lake, an infamously haunted area in southwest Texas. Less than half a mile from Beale's group, John Dent, and his pregnant wife, Molly, natives of Georgia, had built a cabin. By all accounts, Dent and his wife were officially there to trap beaver in the Devil's River area. They had chosen to keep the true impetus for their sudden relocation to themselves. They were on the run for the murder of Molly's father, Alvin Peters. Just how lucky the Dents were in their choice of a building site separated from the lake soon became clear. Under the cover of the season's first overcast night, a band of Comanches raided the Beale camp and massacred most of its residents. After the attack, their bodies were thrown into the lake. The dense cabin was at the perfect distance to allow them to witness the attack while being spared by the native raiders. Even at the time of this massacre, Lake Espantosa had a long and storied reputation for Fortean phenomena. This incident was simply one more in a long line of bad luck and violent events that built the haunted reputation that it maintains to this day. As Molly was approaching the end of her pregnancy, 
The couple was reluctant to travel despite the danger of hostile Indians in the area. On a steamy evening in May of 1835, the area was struck by a series of severe thunderstorms, and Molly went into labor. She appeared to be having problems with the delivery, and John was left with no other choice but to ride west to the nearest small settlement for help. He arrived at a Mexican goat ranch on the Pecos Canyon and frantically explained his wife's condition, begging for someone to ride back with him. While there was no doctor on the ranch, the matriarch of the landowner's family had years of experience as a midwife. As the ranchers prepared a wagon and readied their horses to leave, a furious crash of thunder roared through the sky, and a bolt of lightning struck Dan from his horse, killing him instantly. After a considerable delay, the Good Samaritans mounted up and followed Dent's initial directions. However, darkness fell before they made it over the divide to Devil's River, thus delaying the search further. Finally, at sunrise the next morning, they located the isolated cabin. What they found, in an open brush arbor, on the eastern edge of the property, was Molly Dent, lying dead and alone. She had apparently died in childbirth, but there was no trace of the baby anywhere. The child was never found, but bite marks on the woman's body and numerous wolf tracks over the area led the goat herders to assume that the infant had either been devoured or carried off by wolves. This was an undeniably hideous event, but it's just the beginning of this story. Ten years later, in 1845, a boy living in San Felipe Springs reportedly saw a creature with long hair covering most of its features. His claim describes what looked like a naked girl attacking a herd of goats in the company of a pack of wolves. The story was ridiculed by many, but it still managed to spread back among the settlements. Another year passed, and a woman at San Felipe claimed to have seen two large wolves and an unclothed young girl devouring a freshly killed goat. She was able to carefully creep up close to the group before they saw her and bolted into the woods at a shocking speed. The woman noticed that the girl initially ran on all fours, but eventually rose to run on two feet, keeping close to her packmates. She was in no doubt about what she had seen, and the scattering of people in the Devil's River country began to keep a keen eye out for the girl. There were similar reports by others in the region over the following years, and Apache stories told of a child's footprints, sometimes accompanied by handprints, having been found among wolf tracks in sandy places along the river. Eventually, speculation and fear reached a fever pitch, and a hunt was organized to capture the wolf girl of Devil's River, as she had now become known. On the third day of the hunt, the naked girl was sighted near Lake Espantosa, running with a pack of wolves. Such a sight would have shocked even the most experienced hunting enthusiast. They couldn't believe their eyes, but quickly shook off the stupor and found themselves in pursuit. 
With the use of keen skills earned through decades of ranching and a series of expert maneuvers, the cowboys managed to separate the girl from her wolf companions, cornering her in a nearby canyon. She fought like a wildcat, clawing and biting frantically to keep her freedom, but they finally managed to lasso her and keep her still. While they were tying her up, she began to make frightening, unearthly sounds, somewhere between the scream of a woman and the howl of a wolf. It wasn't long before her pained yowling attracted the attention of the pack's alpha. He appeared from behind a nearby tree line and rushed at her captors. One lucky vaquero reacted quickly and shot it dead with his pistol. In reaction, the wolf girl fainted and collapsed to the ground. Once she was securely bound, the men were able to examine her. They noted that despite a body covered in hair and her wild mannerisms, her appearance was human. Her hands and arms were well-muscled, but not out of proportion. She seemed to lack any knowledge of spoken language. She continued to make deep, growling noises and lash out at the cowboys throughout the examination. On the way back to camp, they found that she moved smoothly on all fours, but was rather awkward when made to stand up straight. She struggled against the rope as they guided her slowly down the trails, all the while jumping at every rustled branch or twig snap that they heard along the way. Finally, they arrived at the aged cabin that they had built their temporary camp around. After a brief deliberation, with nightfall approaching, they decided that they would transport her to the local authorities in the morning. Until then, there was an empty room at the back of the cabin where they would confine her. They walked her in, carefully untied her, and locked the door behind them as they left. As night fell, the cowboys heard terrifying howls coming from the wolf girl's room. The strange cries carried through the still night air, unsettling her captors, and soon enticing reciprocal howls from among the wolf pack in the wilderness surrounding the shack. Soon there were long, deep howls coming from all sides as the pack drew closer to the house occasionally eliciting strange, howling screams from the girl inside her dark room. Then tension among the group rose steadily until finally, the large pack of wolves charged into the corrals, attacking the goats, cows, and horses, and bringing the cowboys outside, shooting and yelling to drive them away. In this wild confusion, the wolf girl managed to tear the planks that covered the window and escape into the night. The howls soon abated, and the wolves crept back into the wilderness. The cowboys didn't dare attempt tracking the girl in the wild at night. They waited until the next morning, and found that not a single trace of the girl could be found. Though there were a few unverified reports in the following years of a young, hair-covered girl being seen with a wolf pack in the area, no one reported close contact with her for years. Meanwhile, gold had been discovered in California, and travel to the West had become increasingly common. In 1852, a surveying party of frontiersmen searching for a new route to El Paso 
was riding down to the Rio Grande at a bend far above the mouth of Devil's River. They were approaching the water's edge when they saw, at close range, sitting on a sandbar, a young woman suckling two wolf cubs. Suddenly she saw them, quickly grabbed the pups and dashed into the brakes at such a rate that it was impossible for the horsemen to follow. The girl would have been 17 years old that year. After that, she appeared to have disappeared into the wilderness forever. It is impossible to know what became of Molly Dent's daughter, presuming that that's who the wolf girl was. There were scattered reports of, quote, human-faced wolves in the area right up until the 1930s. Author L.D. Bertillion wrote in 1937, quote, During the past 40 years, I have, in the western country, met more than one wolf face strongly marked with human characteristics. Regardless of what became of her, the story of the wolf girl of Devil's River did not die with her. She lives on in a more subtle but arguably more terrifying form. Reports of her ghost being seen in the old San Felipe Springs area, beside the banks of the Devil's River, have poured in consistently over the last century. In 1974, a hunter in this area claimed to have seen her again, in the form of a white apparition that vanished before his eyes. But back in the autumn of 1835, when John and Molly Dent had newly arrived in Texas, Molly wrote her mother a heartfelt but truly unsettling letter. It said merely, Dear Mother, The devil has a river in Texas that is all his own. Do not follow. Yours with love. Molly. Welcome, campers, to Campfire Tales of the Strange and Unsettling. We're your hosts. <laughs> I'm Ryan. And I'm Jordan. <laughs> Dude. So noisy. <laughs> you gotta be so powerful. Because you didn't like the first three times that I tried to introduce it. Yeah, well... One of them sounded like Flanders was doing it. <laughs> I like to call our campers camperinis <laughs> from time to time. I guess that's your prerogative. That's, Tales that's of the fine. Strange and Unsettling. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh. And the other one sounded like Ben Stein. <laughs> Clear eyes are awesome. Exactly. Wow. Uh, anyhow... Welcome, yeah. welcome to episode one hundred and one. Yeah, the first retake. Yeah, <laughs> this is a. Uh... <laughs> this is like when you really shit the bed on your SATs, and you decide to like pay to take it again, yep. and you want to make sure that you like do way, way, way better the next. Yeah, one. it's just like that. It is that. Yes, that is what this episode is. All right. It's kind of like when you fuck up the SATs, and then you have to sit and look at the score for two years. Before right. you're allowed to pay to retake it. <laughs> my first time taking it and I fell asleep. I like literally fell asleep. Oh my god. Cause I mean I was literally with like you and Chris, maybe Cheyenne the night before uh-huh. hanging out and we were up late and Yeah. Luckily my next time taking it wasn't 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 as bad. <laughs> um but yes, my first time I fell asleep through like half of it. Man. And I was un I was unhappy with my you know my results, obviously. I bet you were. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness. And they say 
You get so many points just for signing your name, right? Yeah. I at least got those. <laughs> yeah, you did. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I obviously did much better than that, but I still... I wouldn't yeah. retake it, obviously. I mean, I knew I could do better. And yeah, again, I took mine. I took mine twice as well. I mean, yeah. I think everybody yeah. should. Yeah. I think yeah. so. You can always The first time you're just terrified. At least I was. I was, like, super nervous the first time I took yeah, it. Yeah, it's, it's such a... I mean, just because it's, like... One of those, those weird like proctored test settings where like, mm-hmm. I mean you you go take it and leave whenever you're done, but you feel like you're literally on display the whole time, and so yeah, yep. I actually did the like thing from the movies during my first attempt. I'll call it. Well, I wrote attempt. all the answers on the back of your arm. No, no, or I broke on your both. Shoe. I, I broke both my pencils. <laughs> The first I'm time really going to write as hard as I can. Because <laughs> yeah. that'll See, make I me do so better. Fucking, I was so nervous, dude. I was like pressing way too hard. Because yeah. I was just like white knuckling through it. Um, But the second time was much better. I, That's how I was last time. I white knuckled through your mom. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> <laughs> she listens. Apologize. No, that's going to make her smile. Oh, is it? <laughs> Fond memories? <laughs> Sorry, Mom. Sorry, Barbara. <laughs> They're coming for you, Barbara. Awesome. There's one right now. You just made up for it. I know. <laughs> yeah, let's get right into it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's uh, much better this time, uh, the approach on the story, by the way. Yeah, I really, I really liked how descriptive the very the intro was. You're welcome. It was uh, really, really painted a scene for me. Yeah, I, I went super flowery. I, I, I could I, tell that's what you're going for. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Even down I, to like the ripples in the water and. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. It was good though. I used I used the word azure. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I not mean, blue, azure. Okay. Um, how, but yeah. how many times did you have to look up where you use a thesaurus to find just other words? I actually um, keep a thesaurus open all the time when I'm writing. That's a good idea. But, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's one of the first things I open. Really? Um, hmm. Yeah, always. But, like, I definitely used some for that paragraph I mean I wanted to make it like I wanted to make it like I said super flowery it was either that or you just used AI to write the whole thing there (laughs) no like AI like write me this picturesque scene and make it (laughs) the most inviting and beautiful thing that anyone has ever seen no I can give that prompt to my own brain (laughs) I don't need AI (laughs) good (laughs) save AI AI for for Friday Night Fright yep no yep I knew where you were going. So, um, there's a, a part of this story that no one ever talks about, including us, the first time we did it. Okay. Which um, one is that? That is the crime that the dents were running from. Her father. Yes. Yeah. I that yeah. I don't even remember that. Was that even yeah. in the original story? Yeah. We just Wasn't, didn't we talk just about didn't it talk at all. About it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Which is crazy. I was gonna say that's like one of that's one of my first couple of notes too, is yeah. Yeah, let's talk yeah. about that. And so, 
Yeah, because that, I, so, like I said, I don't even remember that being brought up, but I know the first episode, first time we we talked about this topic was, we'll leave that, we'll leave that just in the archive section. Yeah, uh, <laughs> for sure. Okay, so to get down to it, John Dent was a fur trapper. Okay. Right, that's, that's what his profession was. And he's, his partner back in Georgia, his name was Alvin Peters. He was Molly's father. So he works with, he worked with him for years. Right. Um, and he ends up falling in love with Molly or at least deciding he wants to marry her. I don't know. You, we can assume he becomes infatuated with Molly and who, by the way, just to add to the like creep level to remind you of the time period was 14 years old. I was going to ask, and especially, do we know how old he was as well? He was her father's age. I assumed. Okay. Yeah. That is... So, he was like late uh, 30s. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, th- that was just the, how they did shit I, I, back I know, then. but that's weird. Like, like to think yeah. about that now is super weird. I know, I know in some countries, age of consent mm-hmm. is disgustingly low. Yes. Um, Agreed. To this day, disgustingly yep. low. And, I mean, that just, that, I don't know. That doesn't sit well with me. That's it's kind of icky. Yeah. I mean, it comes from from operating a society where women don't have options other than marriage. Yeah. I mean, that's so, fair, right. Like, Given- the idea was that as a parent, you wanted to find the best match for your daughter because that was her whole future was who she chose, who you chose would marry her, mm-hmm. who she chose to marry was that was everything. So at, you know, 14, a girl could cook and clean and you can assume that she could bear children and that they're like, well, she can already do all the things she's ever going to do. Right. So they, it was easy for them to look at that as like, that's a woman. Yeah. That, you know what I mean? Right. I mean, yeah, yeah it makes it make sense, obviously, given the time period. Right. But just by today's it's standards. It's obviously disgusting. It's, right. Yeah. Um, I mean, we know things now about, especially about neurology and things that like a 14-year-old girl is by, is by no means fully developed. Oh, right. Exactly. Uh, like, mentally emotionally i mean fuck i know 50 year old women who and men for that matter who aren't mentally fully you know emotionally developed so who have no business you know being in a long-term committed relationship or Um, having children yeah absolutely yeah right so anyway he falls in love with his daughter right and just so happened that that spring after they'd been out trapping all winter he they got into a dispute over how to split up the the furs right and he john ends up killing him alvin so over this over the furs so this is just basically an argument about money (laughs) yeah well that's one way to take care of it i guess yeah so basically they're arguing about the furs and it just comes to blows and then it gets out of hand and he kills him wow right um and they lived in like a, a very small community, yeah. so there was basically I mean, no hiding right. from Word's the public. Right, going to travel fast, and there's yeah. no way of 
getting around that, of course. Yeah, so his plan was to just split. So he tells Molly that he'll come back for her, and he leaves. He leaves Georgia, and he goes to Texas. He goes out to this spot where they ultimately end up. He builds the cabin, all that stuff, gets everything set up. And then to his credit, he actually does go back to Georgia for Molly. Um, But she has to wait a year. Well, she waits in Georgia for a year for him to come back for her. Um, Well, at least she's a little older then. Yeah. It's, I kind of think of this as like the creepiest version of the, of the Amy Pond origin <laughs> where, where he, he leaves and she's just sitting on her suitcase oh, waiting man, for I him for a year. I always feel so bad in that scene. Like, I'm just like, come on. Like, I know. I, uh, I, and she's just so cute. Like, is this I know. little girl, it's so and she's so excited. Yeah. And, um, which, okay. So by the way. When he leaves and goes to Texas, this isn't just him leaving the state because at the time, Texas was still a part of Mexico. Right. So he's actually escaping the country yeah. to get away from these uh, this murder that he committed. Um, so and the yeah, daughter and then, is okay with this. Yeah. She's like, you killed my dad. What do we do next? Yeah, she's already like... Because this is kind of like the Amy Pond scenario meets like natural born killers. <laughs> That's how I see it. Because, I mean, he literally kills her dad and then she takes off with him. Yeah. Wow. Which is sort of fucking nuts. I mean, yeah. You know? I would say a little bit at least. Yeah. It's crazy. It's, it's, yeah, it's, I can't explain it, I, obviously, but it's weird it is it's really weird and I, I again i'm surprised if if that was and maybe i should have went back and listened to the first episode before we did this just out of curiosity i again mm-hmm. try to avoid it yeah um but i just i don't remember that and yeah it, we I mean, didn't I talk like about it that's that's a big thing it's a big thing when it yeah. comes to this for sure it's true it was huge so once um, he comes back for her. They go back to Georgia, or they go back to the spot in Texas, and that's where our story starts. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, and that's where I mean, basically, obviously, we have Beale and his or Doctor Beale. Uh, what was yep. his first name? Uh, Charles Beale. Yeah. 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 They set up the camp on the lake. Right. Like basically on Espantosa Lake, and. um and first and See, foremost, Espen, this area, it's a hot spot. It is. It is absolutely <laughs> a hot spot. It was the first hot spot we ever discussed. It was our very first hot spot. Exactly. Yeah. Then after it is, that, it was just, it's a hot spot. This place has been, like, it was known for being scary and haunted and right. creepy shit happening here for a long time well, before they, this. I mean, they knew this even settling on this lake, like, I mean, mm-hmm. or on this area, right? So they, they were aware that this was yeah. known for being haunted and known for its yeah. reputation. What's weird is you, you read a lot about the reputation of the spot, but it's never stopped people from going there. I mean, like it's always been a busy spot. Well, of too. course. Yeah, I mean, even today it's like a popular campground and like recreation area. It's obviously a very pretty area, right? It is. 
Yeah. You know, so I mean, yeah, it, despite its supposed, you know, story, everything behind it, mm-hmm. you know, that's not going to, I wouldn't think that would deter people away from like this being like a beautiful area yeah. that's, you know, very pristine and, you know, ideal for camping and swimming yep. and, you know, everything else, right? Yeah. And it, um, also, this lake happened to be right along the like most popular, the most used. They called them mission paths. Mm-hmm. So, like between um, between northern Texas and Mexico, like Mexico proper, okay. modern day Mexico. Yeah. Um, so there was this like one trail that everyone used. To get to Mech to get down to southern Mexico. Right. It's like um, the Oregon Trail. Yeah. For sure. I mean it was it was used frequently. So mm-hmm. this is like the only the only lake for a long like in a long yeah. distance, in a large section. So it's like an oxbow lake. So it used to be part of a river. Um and the river the, the way oxbow lakes happen is there's like a bend in the, in a river mm-hmm. and that that bend swells and then the re- when the rest of the river dries up it's you're left with just the bend of that river sitting right. there and that's yeah that's the lake cool and so there's weird shit about this lake right in general I was going to say yeah cuz I know you you even mentioned you know the things yeah. that uh these creatures that are like you know, legend supposedly, right? Yeah, that uh, um, lurk below. I mean, first off, there's something unique about the geography of this lake that um, basically creates this like wicked-looking fog around sunset. That it literally entire basically swallows the lake. Like you can't awesome even see the see. lake for all the fog. Yeah, and it like this happens a lot, like more nights than not. Also, imagine how terrifying that would be. You're yeah. out there, and all of a sudden, just this massive fog just overtakes everything, and you yeah. don't, you can't obviously. I mean, you're not able to. It's, it reminds me of what is it? The Mist. That yeah. it was, yeah, yeah. Stephen King, yeah. The Mist. Yep. Um, you know, something similar to that. And like, what if you go no into explanation? And, right. Imagine being a local in like the 1700s and that happening. Yeah, you you have no shot at understanding why that's happening. I mean, you know of course, I, mean? I, yeah. I would assume at that point they're going to meet, you know, that's going to be seen as like a specific time. Everybody, obviously, I mean, it's going to be somewhere, something where probably nobody goes out at that time. And it's just, yep. uh, you know, becomes this thing like there's something in it. Yeah, exactly. There's something wrong here. What something lies different. within this fog. Yeah, that's a good question. According to legend, lots of stuff. Okay. So. The first reports of the lake that we have recorded come from the 1740s when Spanish explorers went through. And they talked about the lake being, quote, black with alligators. Okay. Which, so the lake used to be, like we discussed, it was part of a river. Right. Right. And that river ran all the way to the Gulf of Mexico. Mm Mm-hmm. There were definitely alligators this far up in Texas at the time. Okay. There aren't there aren't really anymore. Um, yeah. Particularly at this lake, there are no there are no alligators, but I think alligators were there and then the river dried out, left the lake. It was the only place for the alligators to be 
So anymore, was this lake right? always a an actual lake? Lake, lake. I mean, I know it comes off of a river, but could it this could it have been kind of like marshy, swampy at all at any point? Definitely, definitely. I mean, that's how like the oxbow lakes happen anyway. Is the the bend in the river just swells, right? Right, and sort of takes over more real estate as it fills. Um, so perfect spot for alligators, okay. really. Yeah, um, that makes sense. But the all the alligators were gone by the 1800s. There were no more alligators here. Then when English speakers moved into the area, there were immediately reports of hearing a ghostly woman's scream echoing over the lake. Like, multiple, multiple reports of people who came through here. Which, I mean, that could, very well could have been an animal. Mountain lions. Mountain lions, yeah. right. Yeah, for sure. Yep. That sound a lot like screaming women. So, I mean, that's, yeah, that'd be an easy way to kind of explain that. But, I mean, at that time, not knowing specifically, yeah. Yeah. I mean, but we start to see why the lake gained such a reputation. Right. For sure. Right? Imagine that fog rolls in, and then you're someone who's just, you know, you're in Texas for the first fucking time ever. You're not familiar with the local wildlife. Yeah. Right, that fog rolls in, and all of a sudden you start hearing mountain lions screaming at each say, other. Yeah, you start over hearing the fog. like screaming and stuff, and yeah, yeah. I mean, that would that'd be extremely off-putting. Yeah, terrifying shit. <laughs> right. One of the earliest, okay, in the early 1800s, uh huh. Um, there were several Mexican families en route to San Antonio, um, and they made camp at the lake. Okay. Um, as as the group prepared to to go to bed that night, one woman goes down to the water's edge to wash some clothes. Right at night. Okay, that seems smart. Right before they go to bed, she just goes down and like yeah. But why would wash you do that? Some clothes and, yeah, I know, I know. I mean, don't you do that in like you know early morning? That way yeah, they you can think, like right? hang them out to dry throughout the afternoon and they're good. Yeah. Why? Would Maybe you- they were in a rush. <laughs> I don't know. Let me just go down here where there is no light and I can't see shit. Mm -hmm. And just wash some clothing. So, shocker, soon afterward, after she goes down there, the rest of the the group is sort of like half of them are asleep, half of them are just like hanging out by the fire. And all of a sudden they hear her screaming, "Poor poor Dios, which is my God. Right? She's just screaming. Um, And they all rush down to the water's edge and all they see is the swishing tail of a huge alligator disappearing under the lake surface. Yeah. I, I I think at that point I'd be like, nah, I'm out. Yeah. Pack it up. Um, they couldn't recover her body and the other, so the other settlers, they just like build a cross and plant it on the site right there by the water's edge. Okay. Then, Okay, after the like all the chaos subsides, they eventually go they they have to go to bed. You know what I mean? Like damn that woman got eaten, right. but like um, we still have to travel in the morning. Yeah. So um, I we're going to have to I don't to... know that I would have like stayed at that point. Yeah, like, probably maybe not. travel through um, the night. I mean, I know that that was a lot harder to do back then yeah, too. Definitely. So, yeah, man, that's tough. But why was she down there in the the first place? Why would she? Uh. That's a great question. That's but, so um, dumb. So 
when they they end up spending a couple days there actually they build the cross they and then on the final night they get woken up again by the same scream ringing mm. out over and over again the same poor dios it was like unmistakably her voice they all said that it was her screaming so this isn't just like a scream this is actual like words yes okay and they at that point they fucking split i mean yeah like they're like that's the ghost of this woman is screaming <laughs> over this lake and that's not something you want to hear no definitely not I mean, this is already like a traumatic thing i'm sure for them you know yeah i would assume at least some of them at least right right yeah and then see ugh. these these like um these groups of settlers they kind of find each other along the way yeah right like they it ends up being like when you really look into like um the donner party yeah which is a subject i'd love to cover on the show eventually agreed for sure you realize when you cover or when you look into things like the donner party that like because i always thought of the donner party as like a few people yeah but that was like it was like 25 was, wagon was, yeah. loads of people it's quite a few and the, yeah and they slowly added add more people as they travel they mm-hmm. encounter more people and they all sort of band together so yeah i imagine this was pretty traumatic at least for the people who knew the woman you know well and definitely scary for the rest of them i mean even if she was like some rando they got picked up along the way you know i mean it's still that's you know i'm i'm sure maybe yeah. she started to develop a couple friendships or whatever else of even course if, even if she had nobody else there it would still yeah. be traumatic for i'm sure at least for half of the people just to know you're in danger of being eaten at I any mean, moment yeah in the place you are you know i'm sure uh, nobody else ever went there after dark to wash clothes yeah i would hope not i i would hope as uh, well <laughs> but <laughs> they, this, they this lesson hopefully this group is actually the group that named the lake espantoso which means um frightful oh okay in spanish so basically scary lake (laughs) yeah scary but pretty yeah so over time this this story kind of morphs into the legend that there's an actual group of mermen living in the lake (laughs) of like actual like humanoid creatures that live in the lake and they like burst out of the water and grab women who come to the edge of the water with with alligator tails instead of like mer tails i guess i don't know just that these like humanoid lake dwelling creatures okay were live in the lake that's this is that's where that legend comes from i mean like the lake by call swimmers yeah exactly it's i mean fantastical things right that's what human beings use to fill in the gaps of course yeah i mean it's you know it especially at that point it was dark you know so they they see what what their mind allows them to see and you know fashion whatever they can to put it together yeah exactly so that makes sense yeah I don't know it's, if I would um, immediately assume it's mermen, but... Right. Of course not. <laughs> but, see, the thing is, at this time, alligators were much more rare in the area. Like, this was super early 1800s. It was probably 15, 20 years before they're completely eradicated from the area. 
So to them seeing, and also these are people who are not like familiar with the wildlife in the first place. Yeah. I'm sure somewhere along the way, they've probably heard of an alligator though. Yeah. I mean, you would think so. Right. I mean, they come from Mexico, right? There's these places and they still have dinosaurs. I mean, yeah. that's, there you go. Dude, how crazy alligator. is that? That's like, um, that, I mean, that's probably where a lot of these legends come from is people who aren't f- actually familiar with the wildlife yeah. in new areas, right? Well, of course. I mean, even even as we talked about with, like, Van Meter Visitor and, and yep. stuff like that, like this being, like, some, you know, something that maybe had been undiscovered or, you know, was not yep. very well known and stuff like that, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I think I think that has, a, has to do with a lot of these. Right. kind of earlier stories and, and dude how many well. like how many sasquatch legends were probably born from people seeing people who had never seen a bear before seeing one percent. standing up against a tree you know what i mean mm-hmm. like yeah yeah that's yeah it's wild. Agree. it's weird it's weird to think because now people basically are assumed to have all knowledge <laughs> you oh, know yeah. what i mean like well it's just it's so commonplace now to like it, it, obviously we have we have tv we have media and the things internet. like that right we have the internet yeah. at our disposal yeah. and you can literally take a picture of something and have it tell you what it is you yep. know i mean yeah so i yeah everything is so accessible now but back then you know they they didn't have the ability you know have that yeah. right and imagine also, traveling up from mexico and then getting into you know the plains and getting into the pacific northwest right how many and things you're going to see that you too yeah like that's that's a big thing for sure seeing things that you didn't even know existed yeah like i mean imagine, imagine like someone seeing like that the, first time seeing sorry. like a polar bear or something yeah right? <laughs> yeah i mean even like not just animals imagine stumbling upon the like california's great redwood forest for the first time ever yeah the grand and, like, canyon like Jesus Christ, how like I didn't know trees got this big. Are these trees? Because these aren't like the trees I know. Yeah, you know what right. I mean. Mm-hmm. Like, it's weird to put yourself in those shoes. It is. It just seems like. I mean, it's obviously we don't we don't really think like that because again, yeah, we have we have everything readily available. But like, putting yourself in kind of that mindset, mm-hmm. it'd be so weird, so different. Yeah, and the world is much smaller now. Because we, we just have access to all of it. Right. There's, yeah. there's nothing new. Yeah. It's kind of sad. I mean, yeah. You know, you when can... you think about those, like, early explorers and, like, especially, like, settling the West. Mm-hmm. And I know I romanticize that time period a lot. But, like, that idea of just going out and you're literally seeing things for the first time ever. Like, you don't yeah. know anyone who knows anyone who knows anyone that knows that exists. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, that'd so be bizarre. Crazy. It'd be crazy. I mean, now you can go on YouTube and watch yep. a, a video of somebody walking around like a city or an area or literally watch live feed cameras all over the world. Yep. And see anything you could want to see. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Yeah. It's it's very different. It's um these stories I one of the reasons I love them so much is they, it gives you a chance to like to assess those perspectives yeah. you know what i mean to like really try to understand them i mean yeah that's i think that's 
that's one of the one of the bigger things here is is again going back like we we don't often think think that way but yep. like trying to th- trying to look at it like that and realizing how little is available and how like little knowledge and stuff there was out there and these people are getting to see these things for the first time yeah um you know i mean yeah that's it's it's a it puts it into like a whole different perspective yeah i mean if you think about it basically from the plain states west in the u.s the only people who knew those lands didn't write things down Right, of course. You know, there was literally, unless you sat at a campfire and heard stories, you there was no other way to get knowledge about those areas. And campfire stories are the best stories. Exactly. <laughs> That's welcome. what we're trying to continue today. <laughs> um, okay, so another legend from the area. All right. There's a, a legend about a a wagon, like a treasure wagon. Ooh, I okay. love I love treasures, right? The, well, this is a lost treasure story. Excellent. So, in like in this story, a Spanish wagon from San Saba was filled with gold, silver, and jewels. Okay, and it, frankincense and myrrh. They basically okay. They um they park it on the banks of the of the lake, and the wagoners decide to camp there for the night. Right after watering, like watering the horses, tying them up, they get bunked down for the night. And as soon as they drift off to sleep, the ground suddenly begins to tremble and shift under them. And like instantly, the entire party, men, wagon, horses, everything is just swallowed up by by the earth. Massive earthquake. And or a sinkhole, maybe. Or a sinkhole, yeah. Something, true. you know what I mean? They just, like, the whole wagon goes down. And they're right against the banks of the lake. The lake just fills it in. And they're gone. Dang. Yeah. So, like, there have even been people who go out here, like, treasure hunting. They, like, try to, like, dig down. And, of course, they're digging right next to a lake. So, it's just I mean, the water yeah. seeps in and fills up. And Dude, there's, like, there's no way to do it. I don't know if you've ever thought of, like, how cool it would be to be, like, a treasure hunter. Oh, um, yeah. It's just it's so, it'd be so awesome. Just, I mean, that I like, that's the only thing that's ever made me wish I didn't hate boats. Yeah. Because that's pretty much the, the treasure yeah. hunter's realm now, right? Is I mean. You take boats out and find sunken ships and oh we we also had that episode about the uh about the the one uh the craft that was under under the water oh yeah yeah Um, um, and that also is possibly maybe atlantis sure or around the area we don't know yeah um i can't think of the episode name right now but still like yeah Um, that stuff i think that stuff is awesome there's also the supposed treasure under the in uh, Tsarachina. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That they may have been digging for. Yeah. Lost treasures are cool, dude. I mean, I watched Oak Island just like everybody I else. Mean, did. Yes, for <laughs> sure. Um, I recently rewatched National Treasure, uh, which yeah. is, I mean, even even like that that idea of like treasure hunting, um, yeah. I think is just it would be so freaking neat. It's way um, cooler than just trolling around I mean, the ocean yeah, with a fucking sonar. Yeah. Yeah. And you find all this history. Yep. 
That'd be That's stellar. That's real treasure. <laughs> so, um... I mean, plus money, you know. All this stuff that's yeah. worth so much. Money's good, too. Yeah, I'll take a little bit. So, um, a few years after the the wagon gets, you know, engulfed by a yeah. sinkhole or earthquake or whatever it was, a, uh, a cattleman named Cleary was camped with his hired, with, like, one hired guy um, near the lake. All right. And Cleary had been advised, I'm reading now, Cleary had been advised by a local storekeeper that a supply wagon was expected soon, and the cattleman had a taste for some tobacco, so he decided to wait for it. So they they stay, they camp a couple extra nights to wait for the supply wagon to get to the, the store nearby. Right. As they bedded down for the night, both men heard the unmistakable sound of a wagon clattering down the road. Naturally, they believed it to be the supply wagon, and Cleary decided to head to the store the next morning. When the morning when morning came, Cleary saddled his horse and rode toward the store, but was advised by the shop by the storekeeper that no wagon had arrived. Hmm. Curious, Cleary rode out to the Presidio Road to check for wagon tracks and was stunned to find none there. Shortly after Cleary's stay at the lakeside, a group of cowboys made camp there. That night they all noted the same sound of a wagon rumbling toward them. One cowboy jokingly suggested that it might be the famed ghost wagon that had disappeared by the lake a few years before. <laughs> Another member of the party scoffed at the legend and declared that he would prove that the wagon they were hearing was indeed real. Planting himself in the middle of the road, the skeptic drew his six-shooter and waited for the approach of the wagon. Even as the sound was nearly upon him, however, no discernible form of a wagon was evident in the dark, moonless night. The clatter of hoofbeats and wagon wheels drew still closer, dangerously close, and the cowboy drew his gun, shouting, Halt! The approaching noises continued unabated, so the cowboy tried Spanish, parate. Still, the wheels and hooves approached. He could even hear the jingle of reins now. Suddenly, just as the noises were practically on top of him, the tumult ceased. The silence endured only a moment, just behind him, as clearly as before, the wagon sounds continued onward past the lone figure in the road. Puzzled, the cowboy fired a single shot toward the sound, but the wagon continued along its way without so much as a pause. So, that's, ghost wagon. Um, that's pretty awesome. Right? I'll take a ghost wagon. I thought it was super cool. Yeah. It's like, been heard by a bunch of people since then, too. Well, part of me was wondering maybe if it was like an area that... Um, you know, like depending on the terrain and everything, might create almost like a like an echo. You know how like you can in some places you can hear something that's completely across like the the room or the area, just as like as if they were right in front of you. Say like someone talking, yeah. whatever else. Maybe a something yeah. like that. Maybe another another road or something. But given like the area, maybe the that's what they were hearing. Yeah, but. I don't know. I like the idea of a ghost wagon way more. Me too. So let's just leave it at ghost wagon. <laughs> yeah, I love that. That is awesome. All right. So there's some more modern stuff too, but we should talk the wolf yeah, girl. Of course. For a bit. Course. I mean, and that um, is why we're here. Yeah, it is. Okay. I just we like there there's so much to this area. Like I mean, there's so many there's cool obviously little some, urban legends. I was gonna say so that, and that's what obviously that's what gives this life too. 
And that's what makes this area such a big thing, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, and apparently mer people. Yeah, mer people, <laughs> for sure. Look, mer people's a bit of a jump. I'll admit. I, yeah, but, uh, I'm I'm right there. You know, that's that's yeah, a little that, bit. Of a, that's how legends happen, right? True. I'll 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 take it. All right. So this started what spring of 1835 is when, yep. Um, all this is going down. Charles Beale and his crew, and then uh, Molly and her husband are they're what like yep. a half a mile away or something like that. Yeah. So there's a hill that goes up from the lake, um, and they're basically on the top of the hill. It's like a half mile from the from Beale's group that had set up camp right on the lake right and then they get massacred and so like and but yet molly and remind me again the husband's name john john yeah um so molly and john completely untouched nothing not affected anything yeah they basically sit up there on their front porch and watch it but he had also been there for what like a year at this point setting up shop and everything and yeah so maybe you know some people say he had a deal with the local tribe. Okay. That, like, where he was, like, supplying... He was basically, like, supplying them with... Because he was a fur trapper. Mm-hmm. And he... So he would... He always had meat to trade. Gotcha. So he maybe, would, like, like, in exchange for, for protection or just, like, you don't mess with me, then yeah. here's some... You know, whatever. Yeah, and then I'll give you, like, my right. leftovers, basically. Um Cause he, you know, a lot of fur trappers, they were always like piled up with meat, yeah. more meat than they could, than they knew what to do well, with. Of course. Um, so they would, they would keep enough meat to feed themselves and then the rest of it they'd use to trade with other people. Okay. Um, so some people say he had a deal and that's how he avoided I mean, that would make attacked. sense. Yeah. I feel like them being so close, I, and unless this whole tribe these people that came in and just slaughtered everyone didn't realize they were so close yeah but i find that a little bit tough to believe yeah i mean it's easy to say like well they were half a mile away but on horseback half a mile is a few minutes right you know it's no big deal And the fact that he had already been there for so long too yep yeah so i'll it's, um, i'll buy i'll buy that yeah so either way, they they escape that. But when, okay, and this will come into play later because when this, so when this attack happens, they throw all the corpses in the lake, and um, that precipitates some more legends later. Well, I'm sure it does. Also, yeah. Um, this nice so, lake with all these dead bodies. Yeah, exactly. Fucking corpse lake. Um. So after that, they they stay right, and they there is some talk about them being worried about host the hostile Indian group. I don't I don't know if because there's you know the rumor of them having a deal, right? Maybe maybe the deal was broken or it went south or there never was a deal for whatever reason. They were definitely worried that you know that they were in danger. Yeah, um, that makes sense. But ev- but eventually, there's this huge thunderstorm, and of course, his wife goes into labor during the thunderstorm because that's the kind of shit good stories are built I mean, on. Of course, 
<laughs> this wouldn't be nearly as good if that wasn't yeah. the case. Yeah, it has to be some confluence of, <laughs> right. of unfortunate events, right? And so, of course, um, he has to go to this villi- what next village over, basically, which is, we know, obviously, it's a while away. Yeah, it's quite a ride. It's um, it's all the way to, what's it called? I don't know. I don't remember. Um, Not important. We know it's a, we know it's a minute. Yeah, it, it's quite a ride because the labor apparently isn't going easily. She's struggling. You know, now we know that that sort of thing happens when you impregnate 15-year-olds. This, she's struggling, so he gets on his horse, rides through a thunderstorm, to it's a it's a goat farm right um and he convinces them he convinces the the matriarch Mm -hmm. of the of the group to come back with him she's apparently an experienced midwife which i mean that's which is normal right yeah yeah i mean it's pretty normal though like most because the a lot of these places, especially on the frontier, there were no doctors. Yeah. So being the matriarch, she might maybe maybe be like an elder as yeah. well. You know. Yeah. She has you know experience helping. Right. Probably helping seen her fair share. Yeah. Um, also, they're farmers, so they have like. Of course. You know that's part of that yeah. deal too. Um, but they agree to come back with him. Um. And as soon as they're, like, mounting up, he gets struck by lightning. And that is really some shit luck. Yeah, it really is. I mean, he he made it all this way. And yeah. only to be just lights struck out, down. buddy. Yep. He shouldn't have been riding his horse with his umbrella. <laughs> <laughs> that or he was just holding on to a lightning rod. Yeah. Playing playing polo with a metal stick maybe Um, jousting a little bit (laughs) yeah exactly so he gets struck by lightning and dies right um and instead of just sort of like well i guess we're not going now they still decide to uh, yeah which i mean that's nice yeah they follow his directions um and they get kind of delayed by the storm and, you know, it's nighttime. They're trying to follow the vague directions he had given before he died. So they don't end up finding their cabin until the next morning. Um, which, if you ask me, is still pretty good. I mean, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's honestly decent. But had they gotten there a little bit earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Might have been different. Right. Um, but instead they find Molly dead. Um, she's obviously already given birth. When they find her, but there's no baby. Yeah. Right? They find that she's been attacked by wolves. She has bites mm-hmm. on her body, and there are, like, wolf tracks all over the ground around her. Yeah, and the baby's nowhere to be seen. And um, that is assumed to be the origin of the wolf girl. Right. Is that the wolves carried this baby off, and instead of eating it, they raised it, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Which, you know, we can we can debate the likelihood of that scenario. Right. I mean, this isn't like the jungle book. This is uh a bit a bit different, I would like to say. But <laughs> see that that's the part Area. that I find definitely to be a stretch. But who knows? Maybe yeah, I mean, maybe they saw it as uh 
I I don't I, I would think like they would still be you know especially they're like chowing down on Molly you know they yeah. got a they got a like a bite size like it's like a you know Molly yeah. McNugget that's true why wouldn't they want the you know, little little McNugget <laughs> and I say McNugget well, like it's a McDonald's <laughs> one but yeah a little Molly Nugget uh, I don't even really know what to say to that I, I mean I'm just saying. It it is strange, right? Right. That it, they would eat, they would chew on her, but not the baby. I mean, they they got the meal. They didn't need a snack. <laughs> Apparently not. They got all full. <laughs> I'm surprised but the baby honestly, wasn't like the appetizer. The report wasn't. The reports that you hear aren't even that they really ate. They didn't eat Molly. Right. She just they, she, she just had bite marks. Her, right. Yeah. It was like they were trying to kill her to get at the baby. Hmm. Like, maybe they were killing her so they could steal the baby. Maybe in some past, or like, due to John killing Molly's father, this is like either karma or there was something, like some, uh, like he made some deal with something that now has come back. And Ooh, of course, to claim the baby, John. John, he's he's done. So Molly's done. So yep. and yeah, they got the baby. That's not necessarily a deal with the devil, but right. Maybe Molly's father was. Maybe Molly's father was reincarnated as a wolf. Maybe. <laughs> maybe in his die, his like dying last dying breath, he hexed both of them. Right. I don't know why he'd hex the daughter unless, like, he knew she was just going to go for the husband. Or unless, like, she was in on it, but... I mean, he could have just hexed the dude, right? And, like, you'll lose your firstborn or whatever. Right? That's pretty gnarly. That's a cool idea, though. I like anytime we can inject magic into the story. I I like it. Agreed. Agreed. Um, Yeah, it's just just weird. That's, you know, that's the only thing. Right. Right. And like I was saying, the like the people debate the likelihood of, of of a child actually being able to be raised by wolves, right? Yeah. To survive with a with a pack of wolves, but there are like actual documented stories of of um, of actual um, feral children that have been found in the company of animals, right? Yeah, right. Um, you want to hear some? I mean, if you've got some, let's hear them. I got some. Okay. I got some. Okay, so um, first off, um, Hessian folklore is filled with the, the idea of wolf children. Like, there are tons and tons of stories from, from that culture about, like, babies being stolen by the Eurasian wolf and just taken into the forest and... But it doesn't explain Raised. why she eventually is covered in hair. But, you know, that's <laughs> okay. that whole adapting thing, right? Whatever. So, in 1872, in Uttar, Uttar Pradesh, India, um, Dina Sanichar? I'm butchering that. Um, Sandwich jar? Was <laughs> Sanichar. Sanishar? Sanishar? Yes. It Dina sounds like Charizard. it's like a cleaner. <laughs> Check out our latest Sanishar. <laughs> Guaranteed okay. to get the toughest spots out of the hardest to reach places. 
he, yes, that's perfect. Oh boy, maybe they own the company. Larry's coming um, get him. So he was discovered among wolves in a cave near Agra. Okay, um, he was six years old. He went on to live among humans for over twenty years. After that, like they they found him at six and reintroduced him to to human society. Yeah. Um, he eventually like to the point he even like picked up smoking cigarettes like he was like a normal part but he never learned to speak oh weird and he was like he was significantly impaired yeah for his entire life um then Marco Rodriguez let me try that again my mouth revolted against me Marco Rodriguez Pantoya lived for 12 years with wolves in the mountains of southern Spain. Okay. He was discovered at age 19. So, from 7 years old to 19 years old. Rodriguez's story was depicted in the 2010 Spanish-German film Entre Lobos. Um, and that movie won a bunch of awards. But he lived for, you know, fucking 12 years. Oh. Um, from seven to nineteen with wolves, but at seven you're already physically capable. I mean, yeah. you know what I mean. That's different than being taken as a baby. Yeah, right. Of course. Now this one is crazy. This one is not wolves, but it's dogs. Okay. So Andre Tolis Tol Tolstik. Andre Tolstik. We're jumping all over the world. I would say challenging, man. challenging my pronunciation across the board. Um, he was raised by dogs in a remote part of Siberia from the age of three months to seven years. He was neglected by his parents because he w- because he had been speaking because he had speaking and hearing problems. Social workers who found the boy were curious about why the boy was not admitted to his local school. This boy was not able to talk as he lacked human interaction and had many dog-like characteristics, including walking on all fours biting people and sniffing his food before eating first off you should always smell the food you're gonna eat i mean yeah that's that's a good idea well unless you're trying something new and you know like maybe they're like don't smell it just do it you know don't (laughs) take the time like smelling it because you're gonna talk yourself out of it maybe it tastes better than it smells sure i just think of smelling as part of the whole experience of eating you know what Mm -hmm. i mean right Mm -hmm. agreed so yeah, that's just like a handful of cases where I mean, from three months, that's pretty close. I mean, yeah, that's to what we're talking about here. That's true. Right? But like, my thing is, is like, how do they know that they're thirsty? Um, that they need to drink something? You know, how do they know? I mean, you know, I'm sure. You know, just normal bodily functions, you'll know how to poop and pee and all that stuff. But like. Sure. Yeah, how, do, how are you going to know, like, when you need well, to drink or eat? The baby sees, you know, little wolf pups going for the tit when they're hungry. Well, yeah. Sure. So it does, too, right? Follows yeah, the lead. That's that's, I, that's true. The argument that's is, fair. why would a wolf let a human baby right. feed from it, right? Yeah, it just seems... That's what's odd. You know, wolves are... Even, like, even wolves that are the nicest, whatever, like, on, you know, in these, like, preserves or whatever else, 
Yeah. Just like we talked about domesticated tigers. Yeah. Wolves are very are much never the really same domesticated. Way. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so that's uh even like these like hybrid dogs. Yeah. Um or like wolves as pets. Super dangerous. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Now, there are the internet is filled with stories of interspecies adoption, right? Yeah. Like there are even, you know, my wife works at a vet office. Even then, even there occasionally, there are situations where, like, a, a dog that has puppies ends up nursing a kitten mm-hmm. also. You know what I mean? Or even vice versa. Right. Um, I mean, my so, cat used to feed off of my dog, and she didn't produce milk. Yeah. He would just sit there and suck at the tit. Yeah. It's, I mean, it happens a lot between animals. Right. We're just not used to hearing that with people. You know what I mean? Of course. I'm going to say it's possible. I I think that's my position. (laughs) I mean, I suppose if everything aligned perfectly. Yeah. Yeah, it might be possible. I think in a normal everyday scenario very much I was going to say impractical but that should be a given um, yeah you know unlikely right very unlikely yeah now as to your question about how she would grow fur I don't think she ever actually grew fur okay now what they may have been seeing was her wearing fur uh, that's fair from animals that she'd killed combined with being completely filthy yeah that and her hair right. just like very long yep. always Wild. everywhere in her face yeah i mean yeah that's that's fair i think that's actually yep. i that's yeah that's most likely most likely the case and i think yeah, i didn't I mean, think about like wearing like pelts and stuff like that right yeah yeah that makes sense to me yeah i agree All right um so yeah, that's um then there are the sightings. Right? right. I was gonna say the sightings afterwards. Um you know, they see obviously there was the one uh like somebody somebody saw like her running and she's initially running on all fours, of course, and runs on, yep. on two. Which I mean I'm I'm sure as a child you can eventually teach yourself to walk. You know, to walk. I think a lot yeah. of that has to do with influence on those around you though. Just like yeah, talking or anything else, natural. right? But yeah, yeah, I think I think it's definitely possible. So yeah, I'm I'm sure that they could develop that on their own. It's just like as a natural, yeah. you know, very natural thing, babies learn to scoot themselves and crawl. Yeah. Just yep. you know, just on instinct right yeah so just the like pure drive to go somewhere right to move right Mm -hmm. you figure out how to move yeah and as you're doing that your legs becoming stronger especially as you're like mm -hmm. running on all fours yeah and it makes sense that she would be she would be more comfortable on all fours she would probably mostly move around like that if she if what she saw was her peers the wolves walking on all fours but Eventually, she would realize that, you know, she's capable of, of yeah. being bipedal, right? Because just human physiology, it's it's going to make sense. The way the human hips are built are built for standing upright, 
Yep. Right. So, but I could see her being more awkward on, on two feet. You know, if she spends most of her time on all fours. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. So the. Go ahead. Uh, no, you're you're fine. The the first sighting is the boy. That's what I was gonna from say. San yeah. Felipe. Yep. Yeah, sees the he, naked um, girl with like couple couple wolves, right? And, yeah, hunting goats. I did all these notes and I didn't actually put like a some like a outline of the story in my notes. Oh yeah. So um yeah, the boy sees the boy sees her a naked girl running with wolves and they're um they're eating from like a freshly no the woman sees her actually eating the goat the boy sees her, i believe sees them hunting right like long, chasing goats it's said to see a creature with long hair covering all of its features basically yeah and looked similar to a naked girl with wolves yep so I mean, all right. She definitely could have been wearing pelt, yeah. right? Pelts mm-hmm. and running along with the wolves. Yeah, I, um, I, I like that. I think that I think that's probably. I think that's probably going to be at least part of this, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then in eighteen forty-six so was the two two wolves and the young girl, and that's the lady seeing them eating the freshly killed. Yeah, gun. yeah, yep, yep. That one's. That's really like because when the boy sees it, it's kind of like ridiculed by a lot of people. Yeah, right. Like they're just like, yeah, yeah, sure you did, because he's a kid. Um, but when a grown woman sees it, like a year or two later, confirms it, it really starts to spread. Yeah, then of course, and then it gets to the point where eventually they put a monster hunting posse together. Yeah, which (laughs) for a little girl, and I mean. So what? She's like seventeen at this time, basically. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So, but still, I mean, that's like five years past marrying age. <laughs> She's basically <laughs> a grandma by then. Yeah, exactly. Oh, she should have had five kids by then. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, they're all t- basically this whole group is there, you know, to track her down. Yep, to chase down a wildling and. That's what on the third day of their hunt. Yep, they, uh, they see they see her with a pack of wolves, right? Yeah, and I think a lot of them didn't quite believe what they were even looking for. Yeah, you know, they're but then when they see it, they like they freak out. They're like, "Holy shit, this thing is real!" Yeah, like yeah. So eventually, they separate her from the wolves, the alpha, when it rescue her. Um, Which I mean, and then they, the alpha comes in like, yeah, that's some serious business. It is. That's scary shit. <laughs> it really is. There's like you talk, you hear um, people because you know we've talked about how I am addicted to nature documentaries. Um, when you hear people talk about wolves, there's like an energy that comes off of like observing a pack yeah a wolf pack like you can almost see the connections between them if you know what you're looking for right like Mm -hmm. and there's like an energy that comes off of the alpha of a pack 
Like you can see its effect on the other wolves around it. Right. Right. Um, which makes sense to me because, and this might sound silly at first, but I have a gang of cats, right? In my house. Yeah. And they definitely, there's a pecking order. And like when the patriarch of my cat brood walks in the, like when I like put food down and he walks into the kitchen, the other cats literally will take like five steps back and let him go and eat. And yeah. I mean, animals, they, yeah, it's a, it's like a, just a natural thing for sure. Yeah. And they know who's in charge. Well, some of them. Yep. Yeah, some they decide just, who's in charge, right? right? Some yeah. will fight to the death and, you know, trying to figure that yep. out. That's true, too. So needless yeah, to say. We've had, we've had some rescues that have tried that. Oh, I'm, yeah, I'm sure of it. Yeah. But they don't realize the pecking order and then they they try to seize mm-hmm. that alpha position it doesn't go very well usually but yeah the the alpha comes in they shoot it they end up tying her up right right they lasso her tie her up and they're going to take her to the sheriff i'm not really sure what the legal infrastructure right. was then i mean i'm sure there's um, probably i mean there might be a marshal or a sheriff or something like that yeah. right um but they're gonna take her right. in in the morning because it was getting late. They take her back to this. Um, it's actually one of the people in the party's cabin. Um, and he has like livestock and stuff in the area. So they, they take her back there, lock her in this room. And then the fucking wolf pack descends on there. Which, yeah. On their that, setup. I mean, it's, they just start like wrecking all their livestock and basically just yeah causing a whole lot of ruckus. Yeah, which gives her the opportunity mm-hmm. to escape, which is pretty crazy if you think about yeah, it. Yeah, I, I agree. It, like, it's almost like that's the plan, right? To like rush in and distract them so that she can get away. Because as soon as she escapes, they see. Split. And then after that, though, she like disappears and isn't seen yep, right, for a long time until what? There's eighteen eighteen fifty two. The group of people that see a girl feeding two wolf cubs. I'm assuming breastfeeding yeah. two wolf Which is cubs. a whole... Right. That's a whole new thing. Yeah. I don't... Like, she... Okay. We can talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> she she would not have milk come in unless she had given right. birth. But there are cases of women that are able to produce milk even not being pregnant. Like, it's either, like... Um, I mean, in like a lot of cases, reaction? right. It's because there's someone okay. close to them that is... You know, like a newborn or something. It's gotcha. like that. Uh, you know, it's what is it? Uh, well, I mean, I think of the scene in the office where Pam had uh, Pam and, and Jim had their kid, and then uh, finally she gets to go out for a night, you know, night out, and Kevin comes up and starts like crying at her tits, basically, and just because of the thing, if they like women hear the sound of crying babies, like automatically. Yeah. Yeah, they're they start building up that yeah. or that resupply, right? Yeah, they start exactly. Yeah. So like, but yeah, I mean, there um, there's a lot of cases of of that. I think I have heard. I think I'm remembering now a case where um to where a set of twins, one of them had a baby, and the the other twin had milk come right. in also. Because they like they lived together. One of them had a baby. The other one didn't. 
and she like went through a lot of the even during the pregnancy had a lot of the same pregnancy symptoms and and with this like it's like a sympathetic I know this isn't you know a wolf isn't a human but maybe given that these wolves were born she was like part of the pro you know whatever there and then maybe something happened to the mother and so all of a sudden like she's like her body just starts naturally producing it as a yeah, some some form of reaction, right? Yeah. She also could have just been hunched down holding two wolf pups and with her, like, tits That's out. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And they're just like, oh, she was yeah. feeding them. Did you see it? I mean, you know yeah, I mean? yeah, of course. You know, if someone sees yeah. something, something like that, I mean, that's probably going to be their go-to. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean... You you have to remember that if she was like seventeen, she's never been like confined by societal yeah. standards, right? Like she's definitely almost de- especially in like the Texas spring, she's not going to be no. covering up. You why, know what I mean? Well, They're going to be she? out. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. She's a wild yeah, one. She's. I mean, she's with wolves, like. I mean, naturally, yeah. the only, you know, the only covering she would do is maybe wearing, like, her belts and whatever else, right? Yeah. Something on her back. Things strictly for protection. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And then she's not really ever seen right. again. Outside of her ghost. Yes. She. There are lots of stories of... It sort of gets blended with other regional uh female ghost stories like when the women in white stories the um like uh la llorona Mm -hmm. stories um all that kind of gets swirled in together it's really hard to find like specifically like ghost of world i mean yeah of course stories you know what i mean it's like but like there are lots of there are lots of like ghostly feminine figures that have that are seen over the years one thing that's super interesting, because one the one that's always cited came from 1974, right. right? Where this this hunter sees this basically a white apparition of a woman covered in fur, and it vanishes right. before mm-hmm. his eyes. Right, he actually sees it go. But in that same year, the same month actually, in July of 1974, there's this whole separate case like 200 miles north in Kansas called the Delphos Wolf Girl in Delphos, Kansas. And this literally could be its own episode. It probably say, will you don't be. think that that's it's like, her moving, moving it's, there, right? Maybe relocating or trying to... It looks... It's... No, because this person is... Dis- this girl is described as like 10 to 12 years ah, old. Okay. And this would have been like, you know, she'd be like 100 years old or something by 1974. So it's it's a crazy, it's a fucking crazy case. Like, she's seen by multiple people. Like, in there's this neighborhood at the edge of Delphos. There's, like, forest. She's seen by, like, about a Mm -hmm. dozen people see her in the 70s. And the cool thing about that, the reason why I think this will end up actually being its own episode is three years before that in the same town in Delphos, Kansas, 
there's a famous UFO case. Oh, nice. That happens. That uh, it's a Ted Phillips case. Um, and you know, Ted Phillips is like a fascinating character anyway. Like he probably deserves an episode right. on his own. He's like a dude who claims to have investigated like 600 different significant oh, UFO cases. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and he worked with J. Allen Hynek. He worked with um, Jacques Vallée. Like, he was one of the, like, giants of the field. Um, but And he he did this case where, like, they actually took soil samples from where it landed and all that. It's, like, a full-on UFO case. Excellent. That I think we'll, we'll definitely yeah. end up covering that. By the way, since we brought him up, rest in peace for sure to ted phillips he died in 2020 and he was like a giant i mean yeah you follow that's world. i mean that's massive yeah for sure yeah i think he died of covid really in 2020 yeah i think so i'm pretty sure it was covid i could be wrong if listeners if one of you knows exactly what happened I couldn't find exactly what happened, but I know he was hospitalized for yeah. a bit before he died, and it was could have been you know it was something mid-2020. You know, something else, and then complications with COVID at the same time, and yeah, could have been. Yeah, I mean that was at the high point when shit everybody was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People were going left and right. Yeah, that was the like when you didn't leave your house because you were legitimately scared oh, to yeah. go outside. At least personally. It was also kind of a nice period of time. Not not given everything that was going on, but, you know, just... Right, right. In yeah. our houses. Yeah, it was... It was uh, nice. I agree. You know? Yeah. Not as, not as much chaos outside of, of course, you know, dealing with all that. That's That was pretty chaotic. Yeah, but yeah of course. Regardless. But, yeah, that, sound, that sounds really cool. We'll have to, uh, we'll have to cover both. It's, yeah, And absolutely. even see kind of some, some comparisons... Yeah, given these two, yeah. like those two cases, right? Yeah, I the only reason I stumbled upon that was because I was looking for more details on that uh, 1974 mm-hmm. ghost sighting of her, and having 74 and Wolf Girl, it like gave me this whole other case that took place the same month That's and awesome. year. Yeah, it was interesting. Um, there's also in 71 the same time. It's weird how they all kind of link, but in 71, the same time that the UFO case is going on in Kansas, there's another wolf girl story happening in Mobile, Alabama. Really? Yeah. It's, it's weird, right? It's like UFO, wolf girl, UFO, wolf girl, UFO, Maybe if you like, we like, you know, use some yarn and put this up on a map with some, you know, push pins. That's Maybe this need. leads to a secret treasure. Yeah, we need a red thread <laughs> exactly. map. That's what we need. Oh, man. Okay, so um, just a little bit about the... Um, the letter she sent to her mom. The more... I was going to say, because we oh, didn't yeah, talk yeah. about we that can, at all. Yeah. The only, I mean, yeah. the only, really, the main thing was was you know telling her not to come there. Yeah, I mean... To me, what that letter signified and the reason why I like I felt like it was a strong ending for the story is because from the moment that Molly arrived, she realized she was somewhere I mean, fucked yeah. up. Like that it mm-hmm. was weird. She was immediately uncomfortable there. Like to tell your mom there's a river or the devil has a river in Texas. Like 
I'm right. You know like, what I mean? It just it makes you kind of wonder what else. I mean, outside of, of course, knowing just like some legends of this area and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But what else is there that she was aware of? I mean, man, like the the range of atrocities they could have witnessed going from yeah. Georgia to Texas. You know what I mean? Like, there's really no details about their transit. Right. Like, they could have seen horrors unimaginable. You know, mm-hmm. like especially out on the frontier, it was not at all strange to come upon like the what was left after like the the raid that happened to the beal camp yeah. you know what and i mean also, where there's just massacred people laying all and over them the having ground to dispose and, of the bodies basically too and yeah uh-huh. i mean that's that's all pretty pretty traumatic it's pretty, i mean she's a 14 15 year old girl too you know what i mean that's like, uh, yeah it's pretty gnarly i mean you know she's not even really able to comprehend you know exactly yeah. what's going on yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, agreed. So, more legends that okay. came after. Ready? Yeah. Okay. So there's a legend told by treasure hunters in the area of a ghostly horde that can be seen walking out of the water. They're supposedly the spirits. spirits. <laughs> They're supposedly the spirits. <laughs> the spirits. <laughs> the spirits. That's the only way you should say the word. Spirits. They're supposedly the spirits of the Beale Camp Massacre. Okay. Um, you know, they chuck all the bodies in the water. So then there's the legend of them rising yeah. from the lake and sort of marching toward the edge of the water, which could also be, you know, at least exacerbated by that I was fucking say the fog. fog. That's me. Like, That's it. Yeah. It's the fog. It's like, yeah. The fog, like marching yeah. toward and then, across I mean, like, the lake. Maybe right? you happen, your eyes play tricks on you, and you happen to see this fog yeah. almost take the form of, of this, like maybe a part of it, you know, of, of the shape yeah. of a person. It's like how you can look at the clouds yeah. and be like, "Oh, that's a piano," or "That's like a ninja flying through," you know, something or other. Yeah, exactly. Any other random thing? There's a you spaceship and an elephant. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's. I mean. That's like seventy percent of cryptozoology. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah, know what I mean? Of course. It's I mean the human mind finds patterns, right? It's you we build patterns so that we can make sense of the universe. In um in eighteen seventy six, a large roving band of Mexican bandits camped at Espantosa, um, only to be surprised by a pursuing posse of Texas Rangers. A tremendous like battle Walker, ensued. Texas Rangers? Yes, exactly. Except in the 19th century, they were serious badasses. <laughs> like they were the they were the law of right, the land right, out fine. there. Like, yeah. Um, when the smoke cleared, the Espantosa's banks were once more littered with bodies of the dead and dying. So, like, there's a there's a big plaque at the lake now, and it it basically is like a memorial for this where. I think it was like 56 people were killed on the banks of Espatosa Lake. Yeah. So a, a bun- there are a bunch of legends around that. And of course, this area has its standard. It has a disappearing hitchhiker legend. It has like Lover's Lane 
style stuff where teenagers supposedly if they park on a certain side of the lake they'll hear like scratching on the side of the car and And they get out and there's a classic urban the the door handle yeah yeah exactly yeah i love those stories so like this place is just filled with legends that is it's pretty awesome especially i mean for one like one area to have such like yeah so much history to it and then you know and a lot of, i mean all this history is gnarly at the same time yeah so yeah it's it's it. crazy that's i'm i mean the settlement of western states dude texas especially was tumultuous even compared to other the settlement of other western states i mean yeah so there's a lot there's mm-hmm. a lot of history there to build legend around that's true that's true but it's way i mean, I'd, I'd just have to come out and say it i mean way better than our initial look at this so much more information <laughs> yeah. that we were lacking yeah yeah i mean i didn't i had no idea how to research one of these shows <laughs> at the time we were so new yeah. to it like we basically the the concept for the debrief part of the show was so loose when we first started we didn't really know how we were going to approach it how like what we were going to talk about and we found our way i'd like to think so yeah life will always find a way i think so that's right dr malcolm von herskenberg what's his last name (laughs) what are you saying ian malcolm ian malcolm that's it (laughs) (laughs) So I have this game I've been playing, and my character's name is Baron von Helsenberger. I like That's it. That's a great name. And it's only supposed to be a first name. So when everybody addresses him, they address him as Baron von Helsenberger every <laughs> single time. That's awesome. Yeah. And that concludes episode 101, The Wolf Girl of Devil's River. Excellent. Thank you, thank you, thank you. From the bottom of our weird, possibly alien, maybe ghostly, probably cryptid hearts for listening. We absolutely love having the chance to discuss all these wild creatures and events every week, and it's your continued attention that allows us to carry on. We want to get to know each and every one of you, so please come and check us out on all the socials. At campfire.tales.podcast on Instagram and Facebook, at campfire.totsau on Twitter, And you can also visit our website at campfirepodcastnetwork.com. If you love the show, please rate and review it. It's what truly helps us continue bringing your weekly dose of the strange and unsettling. And a special thanks to Greg Martin at Reverent Music on Instagram for his contributions to the beautiful music that you hear every week under the debrief. You can find more of his tunes at reverbnation.com slash reverent. It's fantastic, fantastic stuff. Go give that a listen. And that's it. Until next time. I'm Ryan. I'm Jordan. And remember, campers. Stay weird. And and trust in the unknown. Welcome, camperinis, to Campfire Tales of the Strange and Unsettling. (laughs) We are your hosts, I'm Ryan. Yeah.
Welcome, campers, to Campfire Tales of the Strange and Unsettling. 